Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. How are you doing? If you're wondering who this stranger is, let me just tell you, this is my cousin Bobby. Say hi to cousin Bobby, guys. Yeah. Yeah. So Bobby is, um, besides being my cousin, he's also other things. He's um, a pastor of a church in Goleta, California, and that church is on retreat up here this weekend. They came and stayed at our very own um, Mount Hermon. So if you guys have been up there, you know it's a beautiful retreat center. And um, yeah, they've just, they came up uh, Friday and we went and, so our church helped serve their church by providing uh, worship and some teaching. And um, so we were there for two of the sessions, Amy and I, and it was beautiful. And their church is going to join us today at the 11 o'clock service. And so, yeah, we just wanted to kind of welcome you guys and say thanks for being here. Did you want to say anything yeah, about that? Yeah, so, so our church, your guys' church, just so you guys know, has blessed our church incredibly. So we had Amy, or I wrote them down so I didn't forget, forget Chris, Amy, Justin, Tim, Colin, Savannah, and Chad all helped with teaching and worship um, over these last few days. And it has been absolutely amazing. So I just... I'm so thankful for this church um, and how what a blessing it's been to us, and I'm honored by the opportunity to help preach today. Yeah, so. yeah, and by the way, their church is celebrating their 150th anniversary, uh, which is pretty cool. Now, you haven't pastored it the whole... Yeah, I've been there all 150 years. Yeah. Well, you started as a youth pastor, I think, but yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, so one of the things we wanted... So we're in a series. In fact, we, we're wrapping up the series today um, called Brand New Day. If you've been with us the last few weeks, then you know um, that we've been kind of traveling through this series, and we've we've been uh, contemplating this passage in Lamentations, which uh, Bobby's going to kind of explore for us this morning. Um, and uh, but it was inspired by uh, you, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you probably heard me say this, but it was inspired by my wife's uh, wisdom when when our kids were young, and we would uh, put them down to bed in the evening. Uh, there'd often be this moment where we'd go over the day, and if it was a hard day. Uh, Amy would remind them. She'd say, tomorrow is a brand new day. And it was, it was kind of inspired by this passage in Lamentations that talks about God's mercy being renewed every morning. And part of the rhythm of this message series has been you've heard a lot of voices. We've had these videos um, of these uh, testimonies from people within our community. Um, in fact, if you go to our social media and you look at uh, our online presence, you'll see these videos are kind of populating the last few weeks um, uh, different voices that you might not have heard before. And it's really exciting to hear other people's stories about way, the ways God's mercy has impacted them. So we're going to hear one right now. In fact, our very own Robin, we're going to hear uh, just, a, just a brief bit of her testimony. Um, so let's, let's watch this video together. In 2017, my life was in shambles. My marriage was unrecognizable. It was a disaster to the point where I started just not feeling safe at home. And I started um, just working harder and harder to try to make things look good on the outside. We looked like we had it all together, but we didn't. Uh, marriage counseling, lots and lots. I started individual counseling. I just started trying to figure out which way was even up and where I was supposed to go. And I was crying out to God. I was plugged into a really encouraging community, 
and still, life was dark. I guess kind of the best analogy that I would have for that season of life was I'm standing on the beach and waves are smacking me. I, I don't know which way's up. I almost felt like I was drowning. It was really scary. And I had three kids, of course, and didn't know what to do. And God, um, he talked to me, not like in an audible, I can hear him kind of a voice, but a still knowing. He said, I want to teach you how to get out of, get out of the way, get off the beach, get into the water. And I was kind of like, I don't even know what that means. I've always loved water, but I didn't know how to do life outside of just trying to brace myself on the beach and have life hit me hard. And the funny thing was the whole time I was trying to control things. And so sure enough, um, God was just crazy faithful and so fun. He arranged all these things for me and all of a sudden, my friends are asking me if I want to go surfing. And these are friends that are such good friends, but I hadn't talked to them in 10 years. We reconnected and they're like, we know life is hard for you right now. Why don't you come on this surf trip with us? All of a sudden, I'm on a road trip down to Malibu with some great friends and I go surfing. And God teaches me that as crazy as it is to try to think about controlling the waves, it's just as crazy to try to think about controlling my life. That I could just physically, in real life, get off the beach, paddle out, enjoy his creation, commune with him, um, and enjoy whatever waves he brings in life. I saw him move in ways that I had never seen before. I felt his faithfulness and his love more than I had for a single minute of when I was trying to control things. Of course, I wasn't like an amazing surfer the first time I paddled out. Still not so much. But I giggle with him out on the water because I feel God's presence and it's this continual reminder that I can breathe and dance with him and trust in his faithfulness. And he will not just provide, like he will help me to thrive. And life has been so much better. Not perfect, but so beautiful. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It, it takes a lot of courage, I think, to sit down and like share your story. And so I, we really, you know, when you see people that have shared like they did, like when you see Robin, just go to her and say, hey, thanks for sharing that. It was really, you know, really amazing that you took the time to do that. And what, one of the things we've seen, I think, a commonality in all of these stories is there's these moments where um, even though the circumstances might be different, where we, you know, we all face very similar struggles and very similar um, circumstances. But, but God meets us in these places, doesn't he? He meets us in these broken places. So here's the question for us this morning as we contemplate uh, this passage and wrap up our series together. Here's the question we're thinking about, which is, have you ever felt hopeless? Can you relate to that sense of hopelessness that you heard at the beginning of her story? Have you, have you ever uttered phrases like, my soul, it, it, it knows no peace. I, I've forgotten what happiness is, or um, you know, I, I can't do it anymore. If you can relate to any of these phrases, um, then this passage in Lamentation speaks to that exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's possible that, um, that Jeremiah, which is one of the, a likely candidate for the authorship of this book, Lamentations, it's possible that he felt some of this hopelessness and could relate to it. I mean, so, he, you know, 
we have to understand that the time that he was speaking into was a, time, a very dark time in the uh, history of Israel. Uh, the Babylonians had um, come in and destroyed and ca- uh, taken the captive of the people. And, and so this, this book is written into that, that, um, that time and that period. So whatever we're going to see today, I think we are going to see this, that, that hope, not despair, is the final word in this book of Lamentations. And I think our hope as we prepare together to give this message is that, um, is that that will be true for us too in this moment and in our lives, that hope will be the final word and that there, should, there could be some victory for some of us where we leave behind things that have made us feel hopeless today when we walk out those doors and, and walk with a, new, a renewed sense of God's hope and a, and a reason to hope. So, um, yeah, Bobby, you want to take us into Lamentations? Yeah, sure. I think it's, it begs the question, can the Bible really relate to our lives? Like, can the author of Lamentations, Jeremiah, um, possibly Jeremiah, really connect to my cert, cert, uh, current situation? Like, when we hear stuff like, as you've been hearing the last few weeks, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Those are great verses, aren't they? But it seems like those verses can be kind of disconnected to the reality. Like Jeremiah, yeah, he can say that because he's, a, he's like a super spiritual dude. But he can't really, that verse can't really get into the nitty-grittiness of my life. He doesn't really understand my circumstances. But I would like to share with you that I think it does. Because if we understand the circumstance, yes, Jeremiah was um, uh, writing about the fall of Jerusalem. But it's kind of, it feels disconnected at times when we take a verse like that. It's like, how could he say that? And what we don't understand is that, like, or maybe you've heard this already, but that, that they starved out Jerusalem, that they sieged the city so no supplies could come in. And so now you have this deep desperation where the parents can't feed their kids, where there's, I mean, this is, these are dark, dark, dark times to the point that Jeremiah says this. He says this in verse 17, which is just above our verses for this series. My soul is deprived of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my strength has perished. And listen to this. A prophet of the Lord says this. And so has my hope from the Lord. See, like when Chris introduced this idea, it's like, I think we can all relate to that in this idea, in this, that all of us have felt times where we have felt hopeless. All of us have felt times when there is no peace, like everything is chaotic. I just got a phone call this morning and just the marriage is falling apart. Life is coming to an end. There's no peace in that conversation. I've forgotten what happiness is. Have you ever said, I'm done, can't do it anymore? about anything, just I'm done, just don't want to do it, or God didn't pull through, so why bother, and I think that some of the things that can strip us of our hope are things like our present circumstances, like unmet expectations in our current realities, and this is that when it speaks to this, it says this, um, um, when he talks about in the verse that we just read as far as like uh, um, Let's see, let me find this verse for you. I don't have my slides, so I'm kind of a little messed up here. Um, uh, my strength is perished, my, so is my hope from the Lord. When we read that, there's that idea of like right now in this current situation, the way that, that Babylon, Babylonians have taken over Jerusalem, 
I'm done. Like my hope is stripped. My current situation is destroyed. But he doesn't just stop there. He also talks about the past. In Lamentations 3.18, it says, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. You see, not only can our present situation jack up our hope, but also our past can jack up our hope. And so when, I was, when Chris asked me and the possibility of us sharing together, which is actually just super cool. So there, there's a backstory to this that I was actually in this church before it was Hope Church. Um, it was a four-square church, and uh, Chris and his family attended here. And I, so I came to this church and, like, roamed through these halls, and I so did not like Christians, like, at all. I was, like, a rebellious punk teenager that I was, thought I was too cool for school, and then now here I am preaching in this same building. Like, how cool is that? Like, that is just too cool. And so just the possibility of it gave me chills. And thought, but I started <laughs> thinking about this. How, when have I felt hopeless in my life? Like, like in this verse, did it really help me or has it helped me? And it made me think of a time when I was here in Santa Cruz. I was born here, um, Dominican Hospital, right over there. Grew up in hills of Santa Cruz in this area and then Live Oak area and was all around. And then my parents got split up and I was supposed to spend every summer with my dad. Um, My dad was actually, he was a, kind of a local hero. His name was Bob Grassi. He was a local motocross hero. And I'd always kind of seen him as this iconic dude. But the bottom line was he was kind of rarely there for me as a dad. And I remember being about 11 or 12 years old. And it was supposed to be that one summer. So I was supposed to spend every summer with them. And they, they, something would always happen. Drugs involved and jail involved. In fact, I visited him here at the county jail in Santa Cruz. But there was this one summer in particular when I thought about these verses. I was at my grandma's house um, on my mom's side, Grandma Lynn. And it was all set up like it was supposed to happen. Like he was going to come through this time. We had just talked the day before. And so now here I am at my grandma's house just down the road, not too far from here, on the porch just going, Dad, I just... Man, just come through. I'm so stoked you're going to come through this time. Like, this is it. This is the time. And then time just kept going. And I remember my grandma calling my other grandma going, hey, where's his dad? She was not happy. And I remember falling asleep with that sense of hopelessness because he never came. And that left a huge dent in my soul. Like a sense of like, man, I just want, like, have you ever been there just wanting someone to come through? Like the phone call I had this morning, wanting your other person in the marriage to be, to want the marriage as much as you do, but feeling hopeless and in despair. You see, God has an answer for this. God helps our present and heals our past. Let me say that again. God helps our present and heals our past. The first step is to have a, what I like to call, a but God moment. A but God moment. It says in verse, chapter, in Lamentations 319, uh, the second part, it says this. But this, but. So he goes, man, I'm in despair. I don't know what happiness. I'm completely hopeless. And he goes, but this I call to mind. Therefore, I have hope. And then he says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And then it goes on to say, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will have hope in him. And our hope this morning is that you will see that hope has the final word in these things. But at first, it means to have a but God moment. You need to, but to have that moment, you kind of need to know who God is, right? Like I, I, I have the opportunity to teach a bunch of kids at a Christian school in, uh, near Santa Barbara. And it's like we're going through these three ideas that he will be our God, we will be our people, his, his people, and he will make his dwelling among us. And the first thing we're thinking is like, if he will be our God, it's kind of important to know who God is, right? Like we can just say God is our God, but to know his character, to know his, like, will he be there for me? These are the things that we need to know about the God that we worship, and Lamentations has an answer for us. It says this, the first thing is, the steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. It never ceases. Mm-hmm. Who shall, now, the, the interesting thing is, is that in, in, I got a little excited right there. In Romans 8, it talks about this love that will never separate. Listen to what it says. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is great news. But did you know the context of that verse? It's similar to Lamentations. If you look at that verse, it says two verses before it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You see, the context of that amazing verse that God's love will never be separated is in immense persecution. And Paul's writing is an encouragement to Christians like, hey, it may not work out. Your family might die. Like I'm talking about back then because Christians were being persecuted and killed, like on the daily. But you need to have a but God moment and remember that his love will never end for you. Hmm. His love will never cease. And so we see that not only does hope have the last word, but God's love has the last word. The next thing we see that his mercies will never come to an end. And so I thought to myself, so as I was studying this verse, um, I was reading it over and over again. Did anybody catch this? It says this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And I thought, I asked the question, well, if they never ceased, how are they new? Anybody else? Like, it, like how are they new if they've never stopped? And so I started to dive in. This is where, when you have a question like that, you start to get into the Hebrew and use some commentaries and ask your pastors, like, hey, how does this make sense? And, and this is what I read. Another basis of hope is God's unfailing compassions. That word compassion is the same word for mercy. It's rahamim, it's a Hebrew word, and I'm pretty sure that's how you say it. I'm not positive. Um, it's but it's from a word related to the womb. And it describes the tender, caring love of a mother, which are experienced in a fresh and new way every day. Isn't that good? Not to mention the fact that both of our moms are here this morning. Yeah, that's pretty cool. (laughs) Which is pretty cool. I read that and I was like, man, my mom's going to be here to hear that. Mm -hmm. So what 
the scriptures are saying about the mercy, the compassion of God is that they never cease. They never stop. Just like when the love of a, a mother to a son or daughter, like that love, it never ceases when the baby goes to sleep. But when the baby wakes up, they're able to experience that compassion again. And that's the kind of his love, his mercy never ends. And that's what that means. That we see not only does his mercy never end, and we see that, so God's love never ends, his mercy never ends, and we see like that mercy has its last word, God's mercy has the last word, we also see that God is faithful. That God is faithful. Chris used an example when he was teaching at our, uh, at our retreat, um, and so I'm going to try to use this example, um, and I'm giving you credit, you're welcome, because he actually is going to say a lot of things today that I said that he's taking full credit well, for, so just I, to I, be I, clear, I'm just, just so. having an honest moment right now, so um, Katie, can I use you again, where are you at, can I have you come up here, this is, everybody say hi Katie, this is Chris's daughter, and so, so, yeah, come on up. She definitely didn't know this was coming. So brace yourself like you did when, okay. So what happens when things get crazy in this world? Just keep doing that. Didn't, yeah, keep breathing. Flex. Okay, all right, keep doing that. I'm going to talk for a little bit. Just stay in that moment. Uh, is that we get, we get like, when things seem shaky, we grab onto what's near. And what happens is, brace yourself, is everything in life, are you bracing yourself? I don't really feel like you're trying. <laughs> really brace yourself. There it is. There it is. We hold on. But at the end of the day, go ahead and sit back down. Thank you. It's your hand. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the things that we grab, unless they're faithful like God, it's going to fail us. Like no matter how strong someone is, anything in this world, in this life is movable except for God. He is unmovable. And so what it means to have hope and to have, man, to have hope, have that last word in your life is to know these things about who God is, that he is, his love never ceases, that his mercy never ends, and that he is faithful. And then lastly, God is everything we need to have hope. It says in verse 24 that God is our portion. And I love this in the message version. It says it this way. I'm sticking with God. I say it over and over. He's all I got left. He's all I got left. When God is all you have, that's all you need because he is enough. And here's the crazy thing. Is when I talked about how God heals not only our, or can give us hope in our present, but also our past. You know that, thing that I had in my soul about my dad and him not showing up. Fast forward to a few years later, um, my mom made me go to Hume Lake. Um, I did not want to go. Uh, I was like, you can ask both Chris's mom and my mom. I did not want to go. Because um, all I pictured it was um, boring and not cool people all hanging out learning about a God I wasn't interested in. And that's what I saw. But when I got there, it turned out it was awesome because there was all these hot chicks there. Uh, <laughs> I'm just being real. I was like, this is awesome. So I picked up a chick and then picked, as in, we, we're, we're long distance dating, or we were dating uh, long term a whole week. And so, uh, and I hung out with all the other kids that didn't want to be there. 
That was what I did. I was having fun. It was cool. But the guy that was speaking at night was constantly, like, I could feel him kind of poking at my soul. And I didn't like him because of it. Because I wanted nothing to do with this. But then he talked about how God was a father to the fatherless. And in front of my girlfriend and in front of all my cool friends that didn't want to be there, I started weeping. Like, not like pretty crying, like snot and like uncontrollable sobbing. And God used that pain in my life to give me the greatest hope that I could ever experience. Mm -hmm. Hope is everything. Amen, says. And so when we see that, that God's love never fails, that his mercy never ends, that he is faithful and that he is enough, it does beg the question, how does that translate to what you're going through right now? I don't have a clue, but I know Chris does. And so I'm going to hand the mic over to him. Thanks, Bobby. I actually don't have a clue either, so that concludes our time today. Uh, no, when I, so when I think about and I contemplate really challenging questions like that, what do I do with that? I, so a couple things. And we're going to do this today. What I do is I, I go and I look in the, the firsthand accounts of people that walked with Jesus and heard his words and heard his teachings and wrote them down. The Jesus stories, right? These are found in the Gospels. And I look for stories where people's lives and the stories that they led and told to others and were passed down to us, where those kinds of questions were answered in lives that I can relate to. And so I went looking, and um, if you want to turn in your Bible and you want to open up Mark chapter 5, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story where Jesus and his ministry, his life, intersects with two desperate people. And I think we're meant to read these stories and see ourselves, see at least some piece of ourselves and these people. And so, so this is Mark chapter uh, 5, verse 22. Um, if you want to turn there, you're welcome to, and, uh, but I'll read it as well. So here's how it goes. It says, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. So this is our first uh, character. This is our first desperate person. And seeing him, he fell at his feet, the feet of Jesus, and he implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. The context here is that rumors and stories about Jesus healing people had been circulating and had made their way to Capernaum where this takes place. And so, so people knew that, that healing was a possibility in the presence of Jesus. They didn't quite understand why or who he was or what he was about. But quite frankly, as a father, I, I can tell you that things get pragmatic really fast when it comes to your kids. I have my, all my beliefs over here, but if something happened to my child and I heard that there was a person over here and somehow, some way, people were getting healed in their presence, that's where I would go. So I can relate to this father. And he, said, he makes this, he then makes this bold, um, uh, he, he brings this bold uh, claim that he says, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. That's, that's a pretty bold thing to say. My daughter is near death come and do this because I know this will be the outcome, right? So Jesus went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Uh, and then here's the second person, all right? So I said there was two lives that intersect with Jesus. Here's the second. Uh, there was a woman. So this, this character is not named in the story here, um, so we'll call her the woman. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. So she had this 
uh, medical issue, this debilitating medical issue, and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse, in fact. So she'd heard reports about Jesus, so the same stories we were talking about, right? And she came up behind him in the crowd and, and she touched the hem of his robe. For she said to herself, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. So imagine, you know, a, a crowd of people, a throng, instead of a throng, right? A throng of people pressing in, all charging down the street. She must have been on her hands and knees to reach out in this crowd of people, and she grabbed onto the hem of his garment. Think about the desperation that that would take to do that, to crawl in the dust on your hands and knees. Here's what happened. It says, immediately the, the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. You know, our own uh, Savannah led us through this passage some months ago, and she talked about what a socially crippling affliction this would have been for this woman. This is no small thing. I mean, modern medicine, you hear about whatever this affliction was, and you just go to the doctor and get some pills, and there you go, I guess. That's, I don't know if that's actually how that would yeah. work. But we don't know. I, we don't know. We have no idea. <laughs> but we assume. We make assumptions. That's what we do. Say it with authority. That's right. Um, uh, but 2,000 years ago, this would have been incredibly damaging for this woman. Um, no contact with most people because of religious law, particularly men. She'd have virtually no contact with any man in her life, even, even relatives. Uh, no entrance into the temple or the synagogue. Can you imagine a rule that kept you, because of your medical condition, from having community with your, your church and the people that you love? Totally cut off from community, spiritually and socially. This is, this is her life for 12 years. And she crawls in desperation in the dirt to grab a hold of Jesus' robe. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, this is important, we'll come back to that in a minute, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my, my garments? And his disciples said to him, there's a whole bunch of people around you. Why are you asking who touched you? A bunch of people are touching you. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in, listen to this, she came in fear and in trembling, and she fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed in your disease. You know, a lot, of, a lot of pastors will quote a verse and they'll say, oh, this is the most misunderstood a verse in the Bible. And there's, there must be a hundred most misunderstood verses in the Bible, right? No, it's this one. As, yeah, okay, we're in agreement. I don't know that this is the most, but I, this is an often misunderstood verse, especially in modern American Christianity where um, there's this belief that, that uh, faith in your own faith causes, can bring about certain results. Um, and, and, but what we have to look at is the author highlights where the, where the power came from, didn't he? He said Jesus felt the power, where did it come from? It went out from him, right? It's the source of our power. This turn of phrase where Jesus says your faith has made you well, um, that word there, faith, is a, is a Greek word. In fact, we're going to see it just uh, in a minute here. So I'm going to read this next verse, and then we'll talk about that. So it says, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house. So remember, this whole crowd is charging down the street, and, and Jairus, the guy who has the daughter who's at death's door, um, is, is still there. Okay, So this was just like something else that happened. Um, so the, the, it says, there came from the ruler's house someone... And this person announced, he says, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? First of all, that's a really callous way to make that announcement. I, that's horrible. Um, I don't know who this person was, but they should be fired immediately. Um, 
I think we're all in agreement about that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, at least on probation. Your, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? In other words, it's over. Like, let's, let's just go our separate ways. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue. So he, he turns to Jairus. And I imagine he looks him in the face and he says this. Do not fear, only believe. Okay, now let's take note of this because that word believe and the word we just heard a minute ago when Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Those two words are actually the same. It's the same root word. It's, it's the Greek word, pistas. It means to be uh, persuaded by compelling evidence. This is how this verse has been misunderstood, is that somehow faith, the word faith, when you hear that, a lot of Christians and a lot of people outside the church hear that word faith, and they hear this. They hear uh, belief in the fantastic, blind belief in the unbelievable. That's not what faith is. Faith is belief. Faith is belief, and it's, it's two kinds of belief. Belief in compelling evidence. We have good reason to believe the things we believe, right? We do. But we also put our belief and our trust in a person. That's why we call it a personal faith. Not because it's personal to us, because it's faith in a person, the person of Jesus. And so here's what Jesus is leading these two desperate people in. It's this idea that our belief plus his power comes together and there's a divine partnership. That's what he's calling us into. And, and you might ask, and this is a fair question, if he has all the power, couldn't he just do it without me? Yeah, that's fair. yeah, he could, he could. But that's not what happens. He says, I'd, I'd like you to choose to believe, I'd like you to choose to trust, and then my power will do the work. All right, let's finish the story. It says, he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they, so he, he dwindles the crowd to just a couple, and they came to the house where, uh, where the ruler of the synagogue lived, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, uh, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but she's asleep. This would be a very shocking thing to say to a group of people who know there's a dead child in the, in the house, right? And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and the mother and those that were with him, and they went in to where the child was, taking her by the hand. So this is, the author does not note this, but this is a radical step for any rabbi to touch a dead body. That was totally prohibited. So he kneels by the bedside. He takes the hand of, of this child, and he says to her, Talitha Kumi. I know I'm not saying that right. Talitha Kumi, but it's probably close. Which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. It's interesting that that phrase there is left in by the author and not translated because it's the original Aramaic. Um, and it does translate, little girl. But in Aramaic, it actually has a deeper connotation, which is, it's a, it's a deep phrase of affection. It means little lamb, baby lamb, right? Little lamb, I'm telling you, arise, right? So there's two daughters in this story, aren't there? There's the daughter of the religious leader that, that had passed away and that he raises from the dead. And then there's the woman who crawled in the dust to meet Jesus. And what did he call her? Daughter, your faith has made you well, right? It says, immediately the girl got up and began walking around. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he charged them that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. I guess you're hungry after you come back from the dead. That's just kind of a thing. There's two kinds of hopelessness here, aren't there? Because Darius had a, had a life that was 
I would imagine it's fairly good. I mean, he's in an affluent position. Um, and then calamity comes in like a sudden storm, right? Is that relatable to anyone? Your life is pretty well ordered and pretty well set. You got everything in a row and in your boxes, and then the unexpected happens. I mean, the death of a child, I can't even imagine the horror of it. But maybe it's just a broken marriage or the loss of a job. Something just comes in, the loss of a loved one, and it comes in like a storm. Or there's the woman who had a life that felt like her, her life probably felt like a storm that never ends, right? Can anyone relate to that? Just a constant, ever-present sense of suffering and injustice. I think whatever category you find yourself in, Jesus holds the answer. You might find in yourself the bold faith of Jairus, right, to ask God for healing and wholeness. Or you might be so desperate, so beaten down, that all you can muster is the strength to crawl in the dust and reach out with one trembling hand and grab a hold of the hem of Jesus. Either way, you've come to the right place, right? And I think for us today, I think, as we kind of talked about this message, I think what we believe is that, that God would want us in this moment to, to reach out, right? To reach out for, for him. And, and the way we're going to do that is we're going we're gonna to have communion. And this is, we're going to do this a little differently than we typically do. So if you came in this morning, uh, you were probably handed one of these. Uh, you need one of these. Yes, sir. Oh, okay. I need one. In fact, raise your hand if you did not get one, and we got some people that would love to give you one. Uh, oh, my gosh. That was amazing. Boom. Look at that. On camera. So impressive. <laughs> that was incredible. Um, so it'll be even more incredible if you can get this open, Bobby, because this is... This is actually the worst version of this that you can do. Um, so, uh, no, I do not want to race, 100%. So, oh, gosh. So here's what we're going to do. So this inside is a little cracker. It's meant to represent the, the bread. And inside there's some juice, if you can get that lid off. And it's meant to represent the wine. So, so here's the story. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, gathered his closest friends the night before he was killed um, crucified on a cross, and he left them with a symbol. And he said, this, he broke bread. He said, this is like my body. He drank from a cup, and he said, this is like the blood that I'm going to spill. And here's why these things are about to happen. It's so that you can be brought back into relationship and right standing with God. And going forward, my friends, he said, I'd like you to do this. And when you do this, remember this moment. Remember this sacrifice. And that's what we're going to do in just a minute. But as we do it, rather than kind of leading you and doing these things one at a time, we're just going to do it over the next couple of minutes. Just take a minute and take communion and, and remember the sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus. But what we're going to do is we're going to also kind of, we're going to, in this moment, we're going to offer back to God the things that we've brought with us that have left us with a sense of hopelessness, Right? We're going to use this moment to commune with the God that wants to fill us with hope. And then later we'll share stories of how, we, how he met us in this moment, right? Um, remember, the way that, that the woman uh, came to Jesus, it says she came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. So right now that's what we're going to do in this moment. We're going to tell God the whole truth, right? And, and while we do it, while we take this communion, I thought it would be appropriate for... Uh, Bobby, to read a passage out of Psalms, this bit of poetry that speaks to God meeting us right here uh, in this moment. So let's, let's take and um, partake together. Yeah, as you're, as you're eating this, just hear these words kind of come over you. Uh, as you're 
taking the bread and the juice, that it's remembering it's sufficient for all of life, that his re- death and resurrection is sufficient. Listen to this. It says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Church, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. See, one of the things that Chris pointed out is that that I would see the goodness in the land of the living. He pointed out this to me earlier. You're in the land of the living right now. You have the opportunity to see the goodness of God, that hope, not despair, not depression, not your past, not your present circumstances. None of this stuff needs to define you, but hope will have the final word. How? By taking that first step and having that but God moment. Mm -hmm. For some of us, it's knowing who God is. Like you don't know who God is. So your first step is to take that step of faith that Chris talked about and actually believe. But for the rest of us, it's going, yeah, I, I need to come back to those timeless ancient truths. That God is faithful, that he's merciful, that he is loving, and that in him we can find hope. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways that you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find hope. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.